This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi Onatangata o Manawatu. It is, what is it? Wednesday. There we go. It's obviously quite early as well. Uh, it's Wednesday, the 20th of October, and we are on the catch up. We are talking today to Matthew Dallas, a new voice on the catch up, uh, stuff regional editor. Good morning to you. Good morning, Fraser. Um, so you, um, you're in charge of basically everything Manawatu when it comes to stuff. Indeed, yes. So it's mainly, uh, I suppose, the Manawatu Standard and all stories that we're publishing to the, the stuff platform. Mm-hmm. Marvellous. So you, you are the person to talk to because you, you, have, you, you have oversight over everything that goes into the paper. So you're the man with his finger on the pulse. Um, should be. Um, some of the stories I'm probably a little bit slower to get to than the news director who might be working later and uh, looking at the stories as they, they go um, onto page at night. And But yeah, I'm usually... Checking out at night or the next morning what's come out and what the final stories turned out like. Well, one of the the big stories that did happen at night uh, a couple of nights ago uh, happened in Palmerston North on the the square. Um, People will refer to the building as high flyers if you're a certain age demographic and the old post office if you're a different demographic. Uh, Regardless, it's the same building and it's looking a bit uh, charred around the edges now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's become notorious through the years. And I mean, I, I, I still think back of it as the uh, Eagle Rock um, building back when I was a student at, at Messi. Um, but yeah, the fire there, this is the, the latest in, in a long, sad saga for the building. And I think once I think it was established that there were no injuries from the fire, the first question from everybody is, oh, is that enough to bulldoze it now? Mm-hmm. But um, as we sort of reported today, um, Heritage New Zealand, just from the photos they've looked at, uh, the damage wasn't too severe and um, it will soldier on, but it, um, it yeah, again reignites these concerns about the, the safety of what's going on, the access to the building that people clearly have. Mm. And, um, yeah, because uh, I mean, it is a, a site for sort of squatting and, and, and homeless. Uh, I think the Standard actually had a photographer go through there uh, a few months ago, possibly. I, I seem to remember that, um, just to see what was going on in there. We used some, I think, supplied shots right, and supplied yeah. video from the public, I yeah. think, went inside following the, the death in um, Timarohine. Um, and there was some I guess speculation about whether something untoward had happened inside the building because there were puddles of, um, of of blood. But I mean, we didn't trespass and go no, no. go on it. But we certainly got shots from outside. Yes, through, we do not recommend anyone does that at all. <laughs> Stay out. Um, but I mean, it's it's a it's a difficult one because the building has been, as you say, for you know possibly decades now, both a landmark and an eyesore. And a, and a health and safety risk. I mean, we don't know this. Well, the layman doesn't know the structural integrity of that building. So we don't know what, if it could fall down at any point. Yeah, and I mean, that's I mean, it's one of the key responsibilities for the landlord is, I guess, uh, the, the integrity of the structure and making sure that it is um, secure and that people can't access it and, mm. and hurt themselves. Um, the owner who we have tried to contact up in Auckland, he is, it's pretty hard to get past the... Um, the, the gate and the mm. uh, intercom um, and it's fairly palatial estate. Um, but I think just the, the location of the building, uh, we did a 
kind of a bit of a survey through Facebook and Neighbourly a couple of years ago asking people what their biggest, what they felt were the biggest eyesores and irritations mm. of, um, in the city at the same time that the council was spending um, sort of tens of thousands of dollars on placemaking and different yep. initiatives to do what they could ar- around the edges. But um, And High Flyers came in second. I think the A&G building was the only one that pegged it for its... Yep. Um, Horrific mouldy um, <laughs> yes. cocktail. Because yes. um, there were plans in place, weren't there? There was going to be like a, a, a boutique sort of eatery and retail space on the ground floor. There was plans for it to be like a hotel up above. That was, and last I heard, that was kind of progressing because it had changed hands recently in order to do that. Yeah, this, it's been difficult to get any real firm word on, mm. on, on what's going on. There were sort of plans submitted a few years ago to, for something you know pretty impressive like that, but mm. it um, just hasn't really eventuated, um, unfortunately. Have the council said anything about this? Because I mean, um, as you say, they're, they're investing in trying to make Palmy look nice, and you can only do so much. And again, High Flyers is the sort of building. If you look up, it looks really it, you know it's a landmark. You look at the ground floor with the broken windows and that, and that sort of brick staircase thing that's all falling apart. It's just it's awful. And the, I think the fact that it's right next to. The bu- you know the bus stop. People mm-hmm. come who you t- take the bus, come into the city. The first thing they see is the backside of um, High Flies, which should be you know the ugliest backside in, in mm-hmm. Palmerston North. I think um, the council we have sought comment from them. They didn't come back to us yesterday. Um, I mean historically, I know when we did sort of a big piece on, on the city's ice source a couple of years ago, the conversation was very much around. Um, you know, they have a couple of funds of a couple hundred thousand dollars that different landlords can tap into to get some support with, mm-hmm. you know, prettying, prettying up things around the edges and helping to maintain. Um, that has not been really been tapped, and in, in from what they told us at the time, that was two thousand and nineteen. I know, in speaking to Helen Warboys uh, from Manawatu District Council, that uh, when it comes to buildings, because they were looking at the the redevelopment of, of Fielding Town Centre and that sort of thing, when buildings are earthquake prone or fall short of I think sixty seven percent in order to be safe. The moment you start working on it, that's when you the, the clock starts ticking. Work has got to be done. I think within seven years, that could have been changed, and I could have been pulling that figure out of my backside. Is that perhaps, is, have we any indication if that's the reason why nothing's been done with high flyers? Because perhaps it is not up to code, and the moment they start working on it, it's just going to spiral out of control. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, we've yeah, had talk about it being sold at recently or being a prospective buyer mm-hmm. um, recently. But, I mean, it certainly would be a big uh, big project to take on. Um, but, yeah, I, I haven't had any confirmation that that's, uh, that's the, necessarily the, the, the reason for, for, for it, I guess, falling into such. Um, it's, still prime, it's, it's still prime real estate, though, isn't it? I mean, it's, there's a healthy price tag on the, on the land. Oh, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the centre point of our, of our city and, I mean, you kind of wonder, you know, if they're going to bring out this monopoly game of Palmerston North, what does the corner of Main Street and the square get? I mean, um, with nice upkeep buildings, it's probably on the, you know, the flash side of mm-hmm. the, the park lane. But um, at the moment, it's um, probably the first the first square you step onto. Um, but it also, I think, brings up we had you know, ongoing news story early in the year around All Saints Church and the struggles yep. they're facing and trying to, um, uh, with this heritage status, Trying to use the building again and you know get some progress and um, and finding it very difficult to um, to make any any headway mm. and you know there's that old adage of um, 
you know, the, I guess the the price of progress, but there's a price to preservation as well exactly. in terms of stopping progress when it's yep. particularly in, in the heart of a city. And and there are options. I mean, you look at the city library, they kept the old facade, they updated behind it, they strengthened what they could, although having said that, they've got their issues at the moment as, as well um, with earthquake strengthening. But th- there are options. I mean, it's not like the building, we can't do something with it. It just needs the right enthusiastic person, possibly with deep pockets. Yeah, I guess it needs the ideas and it needs the money. And yeah, I, I was thinking of, you know, the library has always been the, the touchstone of the the great example of um, of you know preservation and modernisation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it'd be interesting to to spend a bit of time with some architects or people to see what they could come up with mm-hmm. for some of these. Um, um, these other sites around the city. Well, flies. there we go. I mean, it's, it's been a, a busy old time for fire emergency in New Zealand. They've got the High Flyers fire. There was an ammonia leak in, in Dannyvark that had to be investigated. Yeah, that was uh, yesterday. Mm, and uh, a fire on Langley Avenue in uh, Milson in Palmerston North as well. Yeah, busy old time for them. Yeah, no, that's a new, we woke up a few families on the street with smashing windows and um, yeah, thankfully no one... Um, Seriously injured. Mm, I, I read in the standard the gutters of the house melted onto the house next door. I mean, it's just they, they, people forget. I mean, it's fire, it's hot. We all know that. I sound silly when I say it, but it, it's it's scary. Um, we mentioned Helen Warboys there actually, and uh, Manawatu District Council. Um, uh, one of I think uh, uh, Grant Hatfield uh, is uh, proposing that Manawatu District Council withdraw from uh, local government New Zealand. This is the uh, organisation that represents presents councils uh, to to central government. One other council has done this, and, and to be clear, this is kind of a protest thing over three waters, which looks at the moment to be uh, the project that is going to lose Labour the next election. It's really getting bad. Yeah, there's certainly not, not a lot of support around the country from the councils for it, and the uh, grant is, I think, uh, certainly make, making a bit of a stand of um, suggesting that they withdrawal from uh, local government New Zealand. I don't I'd be very surprised if everybody gets the support around the table for, for actual action, but I guess it has already happened in Timaru. But mm. um, I think it's just it's uh, a signal of the, the amount of probably frustration mm. and um, disappointment in, um, in their representative um, with, you know, in the moment where they, they needed their voice to be heard at a, a higher level and it, and it really wasn't. And mm. I understand I think local government New Zealand has come back and I think they've put their hand up. They've admitted they've done things wrong. They've apologised to the councils. Um, that may be enough for, for many of the councils and many of the mayors, but um, yeah, there's obviously clearly ongoing frustrations. Do you think Nanaima Mahuta will entertain an overhaul of the proposal or, or that the government will backtrack on this? Or have they gone too far? Have they just got to push through, knowing that it might lose them the election and National would, would overturn it the moment they got in? Yeah, it's, oh, it's hard to say, but I mean, they've been very... You know, there hasn't been any wiggle room so far, has there? They've been they've, so they came out with a very um, firm line, and mm. they haven't wavered so far. But you know, there's only so many so many battles a um, a government can handle, and mm. um, the COVID one is not ending anytime soon. So I don't I don't want to put my personal opinion out too strongly, but I do wonder if the protest from the councils is getting more traction in media than the government's motivations for this because you you can see things like the E. coli outbreak in Hawke's Bay being a result of mismanagement by councils 
And if the government need to step in to fix that, then it should be an even hand across the board, shouldn't it? It can't be preferential treatment for one council uh, over others. So whilst the the councils that have managed their resources properly uh, are rightfully peeved that they've got to hand that over, it is kind of for the benefit of everyone, isn't it? It is, and I, th- I think a lot of it's just around the level of detail that these count- the councils need um, that hasn't been there, and just probably the disparity among the councils of mm. you've got councils who have invested heavily in updating their their water systems, and and those who haven't, and um, there's obviously ones who are going to feel fairly shortchanged, and they want to, I suppose, represent. Particularly, the councils want to represent their constituents, mm. and the, given the m- amount of rates money that has gone into. Um, into water. Yeah, so I'm not so sure I follow that, that that argument from the councils. Ratepayers are taxpayers, our money is money. It's all going in the same place eventually. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. It's not as if I get to make the decision. Uh, I just have opinions. I should probably keep them to myself. Uh, we are here with Matthew Dallas, Stuff Regional Editor, looking at what the Manawatu Standard uh, is reporting online in the paper in the Fielding Herald. Uh, lots of stuff. If you want more detail on any of the, the stories that we're talking about today, of course, manawatustandard.co.nz or indeed stuff.co.nz. Um, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch Up series, head to the website mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up um house prices i just wanted to talk briefly about house prices because this is something that me and uh your predecessor on on this spot used to talk about because it got my blood pumping um (laughs) but i mean this is getting ludicrous now fielding average house price seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars I guess there's no more you can say than that, really. But I mean, it's getting out of hand. It is. Uh, it's pretty, yeah, in- pretty incredible. And I think most of us, when we we know people, we always, everyone knows people who are kind of probably looking to buy, looking to sell, and just hearing conversations every day. You know, looking at a house that's just, it's kind of just an an okay house, an okay mm-hmm. suburb, and oh, it's, it's likely to go to six, you know, go to seven figures. Yeah. It's, um, it, it is incredible, and. Um, it's intimidating for I think not just well, particularly intimidating for people trying to buy, but mm. even if you're in a position of you're comfortable in your house, the prospect of ever like upgrading yeah. or moving anywhere is just you know it's because you're going into the same market. It's um, well, I hear that the, the the appropriate response to inflation like this is to increase interest rates, which isn't going to help anyone at all uh, in the short to medium term uh, in getting into houses or, or anything else. It's going to make mortgages more uh, unapproachable. Uh, it's it's just going to make the cost of living generally more expensive. It seems counterintuitive that the way to try and address this is to make people hurt even more. But are are we headed to a recession? Do you have any sort of economic knowledge? Uh, Knowledge that would point in that direction because yeah, no, surely I, something's going to happen. Yeah, certainly not my area of expertise. I mean, I'd, I'd be interested to, to see what the latest of the last couple of months, um, the Auckland situation for real estate might look like. Because I mean, I would have thought if anything's going to try and push people out of Auckland, it's mm. um, keeping them locked in their homes for the month for months on end. Yeah. Um, Maybe maybe COVID ends up um, stalling it where other things couldn't. But it's well, um, everyone thought COVID would, yeah. but it. Oh. The one thing COVID didn't manage to do. Um, let's have a look at, um, this is quite a neat one. The bank in Mangaweka uh, converted in a house, sold this month, so you got a chance to have a, a poke around in there. Yeah, you know, we uh, had a reporter and a, a photographer go out and uh, yeah, have a look around at this um, 
108-year-old bank, I believe it is, and it had been con- you know, converted by the by the owner into a house. I think it had always had an upstairs accommodation aspect to it for the, you know, for the for the for the bank mm-hmm. um, bank manager or bank owner, I suppose. Um, and so she she's done a you know, lovely job renovating it, and it's you know, now just gone on the market and um, sold. We don't know how much for, but no doubt for a lot more than the probably four fifty thousand that, yeah. that it went for back in the day. But uh, yeah, really interesting side, and obviously being a bank has a um, has a vault, which um, I think she talked about perhaps using that as a wine cellar or mm-hmm. something, but it, that never eventuated, and it was just used for for storage. But um, obviously, a great opportunity there for for someone, and it's I guess Mangaweka is a a place you often drive past, but not necessarily take take that, take that turn to go down the main road and and have a look. And so, so it's they, certainly worthwhile. Have they, have they kept a lot of their original fixtures and fittings? And because I, I know old buildings in New Zealand, uh, very ornate remu seems to be the the prominent factor in certain places. Yeah, it certainly appears to be some of that. I think the, some of the frosting on on the windows, and there was one. Um, I think there had been a, um, a a big medallion that had. Um, that was on the vault, but that had, I think, disappeared or been stolen at, mm. at some point, and she managed to get a replica made of that to kind of put it back on. So she's certainly trying to keep it um, quite authentic. Marvellous. Mm. Well, I hope the new owners enjoy it, but it sounds like it could potentially be a museum uh, um, fair if anyone wanted to make a bob on the site. Um, this is how it ends project. This is somewhat uh, depressing. Um, 4,000 species at risk of, I assume, extinction. Yeah, this is a, like this is not a project that came out of our newsroom, but yep. it's a national stuff project that Andrea Vance and um, Ian McGregor, um, very talented visual journalist, have uh, been putting together over the past year. And uh, it started launched on Monday. Uh, today, I think we've got a poster in it in, in our paper. Um, I know when my wife picked it picked it up on Monday morning, or she saw it on stuff. This is how it ends. She just turned it off and thought, "I can't deal with this yeah. right now. It's there's enough going on with COVID, and I can certainly appreciate that." Um, That's not the sort of distraction that, we wanted, Matthew. <laughs> that sort of uh, yeah, that sort of feeling. But I, I don't know if there is ever a good time to bring up, you know, in terms of the the bio, biodiversity, biodiversity crisis, and mm. um, we're so can wrapped up in our own human. Existence, aren't we? And, and trying to deal with COVID, that the impact we're having on, on other species is, is pretty incredible. But it's um, if you can, uh, you know, have a take a breath of fresh air and uh, grab a coffee, and uh, if nothing else, watch some of the watch some of these uh, the videos that are coming out each day. I think today's um, video on stuff is focused on the Maui dolphin and um, sea lions and the impact we've had there. And yeah, it's an interesting uh, some of the experts, some of the comments they make, and the tough decisions that New Zealanders are going to have to make, whether it's whether do we want um, cheap fish and chips from North Island West Coast or do we want to have Maui dolphins? It's yeah. kind of but you can't have both. Um, it, it it is a shame, and I remember that was one of the, the sort of the light hearted stories that came out of the first lockdown in twenty twenty, both in New Zealand and across the world, was the rapid resurgence of nature, starting to see, and there was arguments around people just weren't looking before, and when everything slowed down, people started looking up a bit more. But like wild birds, proper wild birds coming in, uh, the wildlife coming in on the streets, photographs on social media of sort of elk in the middle of Canadian cities, it's just bizarre. Set up. It, it, nature is resilient. It's more about humans just slowing down a bit and not screwing it up. Yeah, well, not not extracting from nature, yeah. which has kind of been humanity's business model for you know 
Yeah. Centuries. Well, I mean, the, the theory is if, if, if man as a species disappeared, nature would bounce back well well and truly. Thank you very much. We are the problem. Let there be no mistake about that. Yep. Uh, you mentioned COVID. We do need to talk about COVID because it is still a thing. And I mean, um, our hearts go out to Tamaki Makoro. I mean, the longest lockdown in New Zealand's history, really. It just goes on and on for them not being able to move. We now hear of the, the, the case in isolation on Waiheke Island. Island, the play, this shining example of isolation and freedom from COVID, and that's all ruined now. Um, but you've been speak you as in staff have been speaking to massy infectious disease experts who back continuing the elimination strategy. Whereas you know the opposition, even some people within the Labour Party, are now saying we've just got to let it go. Yeah, we've spoken to um, David Heyman, who is a, an expert we've gone back to several times over the last, I suppose, eight, eighteen months, and mm. it. We thought it was really important to have a local um, expert or local voice mm-hmm. on the issue, given that um, we can't ep- always rely on epidemiologist for Otago University Professor Michael Baker as the media continues to. We all know who he is. You don't need to give him that full title. Yeah, and in terms of you know, there isn't much authority, I suppose, in the region on the issue. You mm-hmm. go to the DHB; it's pretty much everything is is pushed to the the Ministry of Health as, yeah. as is the kind of the policy for that. So it is good to have like you know a person in Manawatu who can. You know, who is an expert and whose voice you can you know t- take soundly. Um, and David Heyman is he's sort of he said he and other um, experts he talks to certainly support um, that strategy of elimination, yep. continuing for as long as possible, accepting that there are strong pressures around I guess economic and yep. political yep. to um, to break away from that or shift away from that early. But he certainly wants to see that. The vaccine, vaccine, vaccination rate go up um, mm. a fair, fair bit more. Yeah, because um, a, a lot of people, and I assume he'd be in this camp, are saying ninety percent isn't enough. I mean, you look at the health system that New Zealand has at the moment, which is good, but it's at capacity now. It was at capacity before COVID. If ten percent of the population aren't vaccinated, and we let Delta rip across the country, the health service is going to cripple. Mm. And yeah, he makes some yeah some poignant comments about uh, this the idea this notion of you know living beside COVID and mm. returning to normal life and mm. the need to do this and and just saying it, it it's a myth if you look closer at the UK you look at the states you know their their health systems are still chock up with, mm. with, with COVID cases um, you know Co- Colin Powell dying the other day from COVID that that's not that's not normal no right? no. Um, <laughs> no. No, it's not. Um, but the, it, whether the information is is right or not, it looks like the government's going to lose this fight. National are now saying eighty five percent's good enough. Come first December, if we were in charge, come first December. If it was eighty five percent, we'd just open the floodgates, everyone back to level one, and let it go. Um, and you know, from what you're saying, the experts are going. Please don't do that. Yeah, I mean, it's all very well to just draw a line line in the say and say, well, whichever comes first, and it, it sounds like yeah, you're you're all for action. Mm. Um, but yeah, I I certainly take a bit more confident confidence and comfort in the, in the science the scientific side of things at the moment. Yeah, well, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, Super Saturday seemed to go. Very well. I mean, the government were aiming for a uh, hundred thousand vaccines. Uh, one hundred thirty were delivered. One hundred thirty thousand were delivered. Uh, and whilst that sounds like a success story, the numbers still aren't up there. It was a bit of a drop in the ocean, really, wasn't it? It wasn't. Even going in, into the weekend, I was a little concerned that 
uh, like all, all the promotion and um, campaigning around Super Saturday. Mm, the hype. The, the, the hype that I guess the audience or the people that that would engage with were probably already vaccinated and that it just – it is hard to find the, how to target the ones who are – um, I guess there's people who are just resistant, mm. uh, and then there's going to be, re- I guess, remote communities that um, just you know still getting into a, a vaccination mm. place is, is, is a big obstacle. And I hear that uh, a number of camper vans have been uh, sort of retrofitted to be vaccination. Uh, what do they call them? Vaxi vans or something? Going around rural and remote communities and trying to get them vaccinated as well. But I mean, this is all going to slow the increase of the vaccination rate. Yes, we're getting to those people, but we're not going to see any dramatic lift in the percentage of eligible people that have the vaccine um, anytime soon, which adds pressure on the government to to get up to that 90, 95%. Do you think we're going to get there? Um, I'm not sure we'll get there by Christmas, but um, Yeah. yeah, I mean... You like to be optimistic in these situations, but um. well, no, I'm pessimistic. I think Christmas <laughs> is going to suck either way. Either we're still going to be restricted and can't move, or they're going to let it run rampant, and our healthcare professionals are going to be inundated and stressed out. And uh, I would urge everyone uh, to have a moment's pause because if you are a nurse, a doctor, a janitor, anyone in the health care profession right now you must be on tenterhooks right now not knowing what is going to happen for christmas that's just an awful situation to be in Uh, we've got time for a look at one more story um so-called accomplice not guilty of hui a heist in danny verk yes interesting i guess a one-day court case uh, trial that happened yesterday where the so-called uh i guess accomplice or the the get i guess is the getaway driver that wasn't um a gentleman who was he was up in court um the man who has who stole the uh, the huya has already been um, been sentenced to jail for, for an, on a number of charges. But he had suggested, or police believed, he had an accomplice or a getaway driver. But um, there was enough enough. Um, yeah, the judge believed that he he had no idea that um, that he was going to come out of the museum with this uh, with his bird under his <laughs> under his jacket, and it was news to him when he pulled it out and um, driving away. So um, he judge believed him, and so he's a. Yeah, free man on that. The 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 one I guess the big question is what has happened to this Huya bird because that mm. that has not been revealed and right. the owners of the uh, museum are still desperate to get yeah. this uh, female Huya back so they can put it back with the back the, with the pair. Mm. Well, there we go, uh, Matthew Dallas, uh, stuff regional editor. Thank you for joining on your inaugural uh, uh, presentation on on the uh, the catch up, and uh, we'll speak to you again in a fortnight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, and yes, we will be back tomorrow at half past eight with another edition of the catch up. We will be speaking to Helen Warboys, uh, mayor of Manawatu District Council, and we will hope to talk to her about uh, whether they're going to be leaving LGNZ or if this is simply just a protest. If you wanted to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Uh, we've got a new lineup on the catch-up uh, moving forward after the break uh, and we've got some new people on board as well. Uh, we've got uh, RNZ coming on board next Wednesday to talk about what they're reporting on and hopefully some representatives of Massey University as well uh, in the lineup. Helen Warboys tomorrow, Tangi Utakere on Friday and Wendy Carr from Fielding and District Promotions on Monday. That is it for the catch-up this morning. Thank you for joining us. Bye for now.
you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.